All righty, let's stand up, let's pray, let's get into the Word here this morning. Dear Father in heaven, I thank you for your anointing upon my mind, that I might grasp the revelation that will rise in abundance from my heart within. I thank you for a supernatural recall of the Scripture. I do not depend on natural abilities to teach, but I'm trusting in you, and therefore I know you anoint every word that comes from my mouth with power and love, that they would penetrate every person's mind, bringing understanding and removing confusion, and that your word will penetrate every heart, bringing faith, dispelling every fear, and we'll be careful to give you alone the praise, the honor, and the glory for all that's revealed and accomplished through your word and by your spirit here today. In Jesus' name, and all those love the Lord said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We are studying the subject of the sword of the Spirit, which is one of the weapons in Ephesians chapter 6 that the church has been given, the armor of God. And as I said, this is the only offensive weapon in that list. The others are all defensive. And uh, in my personal opinion, I believe that the church has not been schooled as it should in our offensive weapon, the sword of the Spirit. Hence, we do not take authority in the realm of the Spirit as we should. And we allow the devil, unfortunately, to walk over us sometimes and, um, and steal from us or, or hurt us or or do whatever he wants to do without us realizing it, without us realizing it. We don't recognize that it's demonic spirits active and working against us. We think it's just natural coincidence. And so uh, in this series, we are exposing uh, the devil, exposing him. And uh, at the end of each teaching, I'll give you several stories to see how that we apply these truths practically in our lives. And I would encourage you to go back and listen to part one, two, three, four, and five again. Get this into your heart. Let this knowledge drop from here to here. Because it's not just by mental understanding or mental assent that we walk in these in this authority. It's by heart revelation, heart faith. And that only comes by knowing what the Bible says about it. Once you understand in your heart what God says, you can walk in this dimension. It's for everybody, not just for some selected people. No. Walking in the authority of Jesus is for the baby Christian just being born again. Just being born again. Just got saved. Gave his life to Jesus for the first time. All right, so we're learning how to exercise our authority by using the sword of the Spirit. Another thing I, I need to point out that people are not aware of, and that is that hostile forces, demonic spirits working in the earth, let's call it the spirit of Antichrist, is desperately trying to take control of this planet to bring the human race into slavery. 
This is prophesied in Daniel, Thessalonians, and Revelation. Those three books and others, but specifically clearly laid out in those three books, the whole plan of the devil to bring the whole world into one world government and slavery with one president who turns into a dictator worse than Hitler. And that's all in the Bible, and I've taught on that subject here. Now, we can stop this and hold that whole plan of Satan back so that more folks can find Jesus as Savior and that we can live in freedoms until Jesus comes. Once the rapture happens and we all go, then the devil can do what he wants to on this planet. So we are, if we don't fight back spiritually, we're going to find ourselves in a very, very difficult time going forward. Right now in South Africa, they are trying to pass a bill on the 30th of June. In a nutshell, that bill will absolutely outlaw Christianity. It's a very serious bill. And we've got hundreds of churches in South Africa, as you know. So I've written to all the pastors and all of the congregation members and given them a prototype letter that we're asking everybody, every individual to write to the government to oppose this bill. And I've contacted all my friends in the ministry and asked them to do the same. And I'll ask you to pray for South Africa at this time. It's just simply communism, really that they're trying to enforce. But don't think this can't happen in America. Please, because, because you will be surprised if you actually knew how we are moving in that direction. So we can stop this. The authority has been given to the church. And we have to deal with it in the realm of the Spirit because people don't understand what they're signing up for. People don't understand what they're signing up for. They only see the piece of the jigsaw puzzle that they stand on. They don't see the cover on the box. The only time you can see the picture on the cover of the box is if you know what the Bible says about the future. See? So, but since we have an idea of what the devil's trying to do, we need to exercise our authority, not only in our piece of the jigsaw puzzle, but in the greater cover of the box picture. So what I'm saying is, when you watch the news and you see something happening or a plan or somebody trying to do something that opposes the will of God, the Word of God, the plan and purpose of God, and try to chip away at our freedoms, you ought, you ought to speak to that demonic spirit that's working through that person and command them to back off and leave them in the name of Jesus, and then say that you claim their salvation. Claim them for Christ, from the devil. Take that soul out of Satan's hands and put him in Christ's hands. By claiming his, you might never see them on TV again, that's fine. Just say, I claim that soul for Jesus. I ask the Father to send a laborer who will tell him about Jesus I ask the Father to send a laborer to them, to talk to them, somebody they will listen to in Jesus' name. 
Pray for them. Don't just sit and watch like a bump on a log. Let's speak to that because you have authority in the realm of the Spirit and there's no distance in prayer. No distance. Those demons can hear you on the other side of the world when you use the name of Jesus. They have to listen. Are you tracking me, church? All right, so let's get on to that message today. We are in the body of Christ. We are seated with Christ at the right hand of God. We are seated with Christ, in Christ, at the right hand of God. That's our positional truth, according to Ephesians, according to Colossians. We are seated in Christ in heaven right now. The right hand of the Father, as you've learned, is the center of power of the universe. There's no place that has more power than the right hand of God, and Christ has been given all power and all authority, and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. The fact that he sat down implies that his work is finished. He conquered, and now he's sitting. The fact that we are sitting in Christ implies that we are sitting in his victory, and we therefore have the authority to use his authority in the earth to carry out his will and purpose. All right? Now, so that means that we are above all principalities, which is just another name for demons. All powers. We are above all might and all dominion because we are seated in Christ. Correct? Now, if the devil tries to put any thing in your family that's not godly, sickness, poverty, any kind of challenge, we ought to stand up and say, now, Mr. Devil, I bind you. You may not rule or reign in my home. I'm in charge here. In the name of Jesus Christ, I resist you. You leave. Speak to that demon spirit about that sickness or problem and hold fast to your confession. Write down the time that you said what you said and the date. And then from that moment on, you say, that time when I said that, it's done. Satan is bound. The sickness is gone in Jesus' name. You say, call those things that be not as though they were. Call those things. Romans 4.17 says, God calls those things that be not as though they were. We set our thermostat like that with the temperature in your house. If you want the temperature to be 70 degrees, and let's say it's 80 outside, you set it for 70, and then your thermostat calls the temperature down to 70, because you set it at 70. So you set your thermostat, your spiritual thermostat, on health, prosperity, and whatever it is you want. You say, I believe I am healed. I believe I am prospering. I believe this is done. When you set the temperature on this is done, then that, your faith then, calls it to that position according to Romans 4.17. God calls those things that be not as though they were. God says, Abraham, you are the father of many nations before Isaac was even born. Are you tracking me? If Abraham didn't say what God said, because Abraham said, I am the father of many nations before Isaac was born. So if he didn't say that, Isaac wouldn't be born. Abraham, uh, uh, Jacob wouldn't be born. Mary wouldn't be born. 
Jesus wouldn't be born, we wouldn't be sitting here today. So we have got to, faith calls those things that are not as though they were. That's how faith works. All right? Now, otherwise it's not, you don't say what you've got because that's not faith. If you're saying what you've got, that's not faith. You don't need faith for that. You need faith. Faith works until something you ask for comes, right? When it comes, why don't you have faith for it anymore? Faith means you're believing for something that you don't have. Are you tracking me? Okay. So, Ephesians 1.22. God has put all things under the authority of Christ so that the Father God put everything under the authority of Christ. See, Jesus rose from the dead in Matthew 28, verse 18, and he said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He said that to his disciples. Now, we know that he was the creator of all things, and he's deity, as much as the Father is. But he left all that behind and became a man when he was born on the earth, known as Jesus. And as a man, he died for us. As a man, he conquered. As a man, he earned all authority. He earned it by conquest, and he earned it by inheritance. So, that authority was given to him for our sakes. Look here. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made Christ head. God made Christ head over all things. Why? For the benefit of the church. For the benefit of the church. You see, Jesus inherited that wonderful name, Jesus. Show me in the Bible any place, Old or New Testament, where Jesus used his name. I'll ask you again. Show me any place in the Bible, Old or New Testament, where Jesus used his name. He didn't. But he told us in many places, you use it. Whatever you command in my name, I'll do it. He never used it. Still hasn't used it 2,000 years later. So why did he get that name? That great authority. For us to use now. You don't need it when you get to heaven. You don't have giants in the land in heaven. Our problem is down here. This is where we need it. To deal with demonic spirits that are trying to harass us at every turn. Are we catching on? Okay. So, Jesus is the head over all sickness, disease, poverty, and every challenge that you face. Jesus is bigger than all of that. And it is for our sake that Jesus is the head, so that we, through Christ, might exercise His authority over all things. You see, God, when Jesus rose from the dead, He left the church in charge. He didn't leave governments in charge. He left the church in charge. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore. Go therefore. You see, just before Jesus died, he ate a covenant meal with his disciples called the Last Supper in the upper room on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. And when Jesus ate that meal, he passed around the bread and the, and the, and the, and the wine, and he said to his disciples, this blood represents a new covenant that I'm making with you. A new covenant. What is covenant? 
Covenant means everything you own belongs to God, your life included. And everything God owns belongs to you, his life included. That's why you have his righteousness, his wisdom, his life, his everything. Right? And Romans 8 verse 17 says, all that God gave to Christ is given to you as well. Romans 8, 17. Why did God give it all to us? Covenant. Covenant. Jesus ate a covenant meal with his disciples, and he said, my blood is shed to seal the covenant. So that covenant is sealed, ratified by the shed blood of Jesus. So, for God to ever not, for God to ever not stand up for you, he'd have to violate the blood of Jesus. He'll never do that. He will never do that. Do you understand that? If something doesn't work, it's not God's side, it's faulty, it's our side. Are we understanding that? All right. So now, all this was the Father's idea, that the church have this amazing authority, and that he is, that Christ would die for us. All of this was the Father's idea, not man's idea. Why did God go to all these, this length to do all this? Because he loves us so much. The Father loves you more than you can imagine. More than you can imagine. You see, the pain of the crucifixion was not as bad as the pain, the heartache of living without you for eternity. The heartache of living without you for eternity was far more severe in God's heart than dying on the cross. He'd rather die on the cross than live without you because the heartache, he couldn't take it. You see, God loves you completely. God has no reservations. He doesn't hold back on his love. The Bible said God is love. That's who love is, is God. God is love. Love is God. So, you must understand, God doesn't hold back on his love. If ever you can understand how much God loves you, it'll cast out all fear from your life. The Bible says love casts out fear. In other words, knowing how much God loves you, you'll stop being afraid of anything. Because your big brother Jesus is always with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Okay? You find that in the Bible too. Hebrews 13 verse 5. Now then, let's read Colossians 2.12. Colossians 2.12. I'm reading this from the New Living Translation. It really captures the original Greek so beautifully. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with Christ you were raised to new life. When he was raised, you were raised. Because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were, you were dead because of your sins, and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God the Father made you alive with Christ. God the Father forgave all of our sins. God the Father canceled the record of our sinful debt, our sins, the record of our debt and sin. He canceled the record that contained the charges against us. He took it and nailed it 
to Christ's cross. Can you see the Father planned it all? The Father planned Christ's death. The Father planned our redemption and our forgiveness. Why? Because of his love. Because of his love. So notice Paul is writing this letter here to the church at Colossae. But he's inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this letter. In other words, the Holy Spirit is writing through Paul. And we notice that God planned our redemption. God was planned Christ rising from the dead. God raised us from the dead when he raised Christ from the dead. God planned to forgive us for our sins. And God planned to nail our debt to the cross. And God planned to defeat demons and principalities and powers through the death of Christ. He planned to defeat sickness and poverty and failure and death all through the cross. And when did God plan that? Way before time began. Way before time began. He planned that before he spoke the stars into the sky. God stood on nothing and said, light be, and the universe became. And he spoke the sun, the moon, the earth. He spoke everything into existence, one at a time. The animals, the birds, man, everything. Created with his words and his faith. Now, he formed man out of the dust of the earth and breathed life into him, spoke to him. So, God planned all that. And he knew when he created Lucifer, a beautiful angel, that he would turn and become evil. He made him good, but he changed and became evil. God knew he would. God gave him a free will. God created us in his image and likeness, and God knew that some of us would reject him. Not us, but others would reject him. But he still created them and loved them. And died for all of them. So God gave us a free will. An independent free will. We can choose. Therefore we are responsible for our own choices. We can't blame God for our choices. Are you out there? We can't blame God for the devil's decision to become evil. But God in his foreknowledge knew that we would choose him. And God planned your life, your best life, your blessed life, your best and blessed life. God planned it before time began. He knew your name, and he planned your destiny of blessing. Now, to walk in the destiny of blessing, we need to confess. God is guiding me, and he is blessing me and keeping me. And you've got to confess these things. You've got to say them. Right? Okay. I'm going to share some stories with you here today so we can understand the practical application of what we've been learning. Now, my brother Henry is a pastor, and he was a pastor back in South Africa in a small town called Balcom about 35 years ago. And uh, he was invited to go and pray for somebody who'd lost their mind and was committed to an insane asylum, and they were in a cell. 
So he went to pray for this person. They closed the door behind him. And this person, a demon spirit, spoke to him, to this man. Now, I've heard demons speak to me thousands of times through people when I've cast them out. And I'm sure you've heard the demons speak right here at times when I minister to them. So this demon said to my brother, I know who you are, and told him his name. Then he said, and I know your brother, and told Henry my name. Then he said, your brother cast me out of so-and-so in Johannesburg, which is about four hours' drive from Velcom, cast me out of so-and-so in Johannesburg, and now I'm in this person, and you are not casting me out. So, of course, Henry cast the demon out and then called me, very surprised, tell me what had happened. So this, you can control the natural realm like setting that person free by dealing with demonic spirits in the atmosphere around us. Now, we've got several doctors in the church here, about five, and they're good friends of mine, and I value them. And they do a great work, and they love the Lord. And they know how to exercise spiritual authority. And sometimes they give additional treatment to their patients by praying for them. But that demon would not have come out by medication out of that man in that prison cell, in that, in that mental asylum. That demon would not come out by anything except spiritual authority, used in the name of Jesus. See that? So some things you can only deal with by recognizing demonic activity and talking to demons. Now, another example is um, back in 1994, 1994, in South Africa, we just finished building our house in Bedford View, which is, you might say, a suburb of Johannesburg. And uh, we just finished building this house. And the gate across the driveway was not finished. They were still connecting the motor and the electronic automatic open and close thing, whatever. But the gate was hanging across the driveway. And they left. That's Friday. So... The weekend that we needed to drive in and out of our driveway, we just moved the gate by hand. And our driveway was brick paved, smooth, flat brick paving all the way to the road and all the way up to our garages and a nice big area paved outside the garages. So now, in those years, 94, we only had services on Sunday morning twice and Sunday night once. No Saturday night service. Now we have Saturday night as well. But I used to get up because we had no service on Saturday night. I used to get up at two o'clock on Sunday morning to pray. My message is already done. I just want to spend time with the Lord. And I got to bed early on Saturday night. So I got up, went to my study. I began to pray. I prayed for a short while. 
Then all of a sudden, I had this burden to pray. What's that mean? From nowhere, in my heart, I felt sad. I felt like somebody had died. It was terrible. And I recognized this is a spiritual experience I'm having, not an emotional experience. It's something in my spirit that I'm sensing. So I said, Holy Spirit, you are putting this burden in my heart because something's going to go wrong, and now I'm experiencing the pain after this has gone wrong. But I'm experiencing that pain now so that I can pray. Say this, no tragedy will ever come my way without God warning me to pray beforehand. So um, I turned it over to him and I began to pray in other tongues, in my heavenly prayer language. From 2 o'clock to 3 o'clock, to 4 o'clock, to 5 o'clock, to 6 o'clock, to 6.30. Now I'm praying fervently because the Spirit of God is unctioning me to pray. I'm praying without any effort on my behalf. I'm just praying out aloud fervently. And um, so I'm realizing I've got to go and shower and get dressed and go to church, but I carried on praying, carried on praying. To the last second, then I went, and then I sensed the freedom coming, the peace coming, the joy coming, and the, this burden subsiding. And I sensed that I was about 99% done. If I had a few more minutes, I'd have been better. But I went to shower. I got to church. Praise and worship was already finished. I walked up on the platform, and I taught the Word. Second service, taught the Word. After church was done, everybody's there. I haven't closed the service. I told everybody what had happened that morning about that burden. And I said, I sense in my heart that I need to bind the devil over all of us and our families. Let's stand and pray. So I bound Satan over all the church members, forbid him from hurting anybody. They all agreed. I command you, Satan, you will not hurt the families of this church or my family in any way in the name of Jesus. And I release the angels to protect us all. Close the service. And Pastor Bev took Candace at that time. She was only eight years old, six years old. In her car and off she went. About three, four minutes later, I got in my car with Natalie and we went home. When I got home, I drove up the driveway and there's Pastor Bev's car parked in the driveway. Didn't go into the yard. So I, um, and I, I looked past the car and I could see Pastor Bev kneeling down on the floor next to Candace and the gate, the steel gate that they erected is lying on the floor on the brick paving. Now that gate was 19 feet long, 7 feet high. And it's made from steel tubing all the way around and steel tubing slats across, okay? About 800 pounds in weight. It takes six big men to carry that gate. This gate's lying down. I can't figure out how it fell off. I ran up there, 
And there's Candace crying in a state of terrible shock, sitting next to Pastor Bev, who's kneeling down by her and examining her. So I said, what happened? She said, the gate fell on Candace. So what happened was Candace got out the car. She walked up to the gate, and it's easy to move because they're on these greased rollers. She went in behind the gate, walked to the center of the gate, and now she's looking at Pastor Bev, her back to the house, and she's walking along with the gate. See? When all of a sudden it comes off and falls on her, flat on the concrete bricks. Pastor Bev runs up there. Candice is screaming under the gate. She lifts the gate up with one hand, puts her hand in, and pulls Candice out with the other hand. We examined Candice together. No broken bones, no concussion, no headache, no bruises, no scratches. Can't understand it. We just can't understand it. Now, what happened a few weeks before that, a member of our congregation, her granddaughter, was swinging on a pedestrian gate, three feet wide, four feet high. And um, a wonderful family. Broke my heart. So the mother said, the grandmother said to the daughter, the granddaughter, honey, don't swing on that gate. It's dangerous. Get off. So she got off. Two minutes later, she came past again, and she was swinging on the gate. She told her three times to get off that gate. The fourth time, she came back. The little girl was lying on the floor. Her brains were on the grass, on the grass. A three-foot-wide gate, four-foot high, on the grass, and her brains came right out of her head on the grass. Unfortunately, I tell you the truth there, that the gruesome story. Now, I, we try and figure out how a steel gate, 800 pounds, didn't do far worse than that to Canis, just beyond your mind. But, to understand, but I believe that the Spirit of God protected Candace, and somehow she didn't get hurt, and gave Pastor Bev supernatural strength to lift that gate up and pull Candace out, somehow, and the devil was bound, and the angels were loosed. And I just don't know how it all happened when we get to heaven. I can't wait to see a rewind of that in the spirit realm. Um, but say this. If I take authority in the spiritual realm, I can dictate and control what happens in the natural realm. So there's more things happen to me by demons than I ever imagined and can be stopped with the authority Christ gave me. Now, in 2007, October 22, it was a Monday, the phone rang next to our bed. Pastor Bev answered the phone. It was my sister Ingrid on the other side of the line. She was crying hysterically and told us, that California was on fire. 
that hurricane winds were driving the fire 65 miles an hour. The flames were traveling at a rate of a mile in less than 10 minutes. The fire was moving that fast. One million people had been evacuated from their homes. 30-foot-high trees were engulfed in flames, and the combustion was so strong the flames were reaching up to 70 feet high at times. And the resultant combustion was throwing balls of fire into the sky that were landing 100 feet away and starting more fires. Now, Ingrid's second home was minutes away from being engulfed in these flames, and that's why she called and requested prayer. So I used two scriptures, which I want to put up on the screen, for you to use. Okay? The first one, I said to Ingrid, I said, Ingrid, these are the scriptures we're going to stand on right now. Matthew 18, verse 18. Jesus said this, Assuredly, that means it's this way and no other way. Assuredly, I say to you. Now, this is God speaking here. Listen to this. Whatever you bind on earth, say whatever, will be bound in heaven. Now, what's that mean? That means whatever you do not allow on earth, heaven will back you up and heaven will not allow it. Whatever you. He didn't say me. He didn't say whatever I don't allow. He said whatever you. Right? Whatever you bind on earth, we bound in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth, anywhere on earth. And whatever you loose on earth, heaven will loose. Uh, will be loose in heaven. What's that mean? That means whatever you allow on earth, heaven will agree with and allow. So God is waiting, family, for you to speak so God can act. Are you tracking me? John 14, 14. Jesus said this. If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. Again, Jesus never used his name, but he said, you can ask anything in my name, I'll do it for you. Is that in your Bible? Okay, just checking. Now, that word ask, if you look it up in the Greek, because it's originally written in Greek, not in English. If you look it up in the Greek, you can use the Strong's Concordance, the Vine's Concordance, or the Young's Concordance, all excellent English-Greek concordances, English-Hebrew concordances. And you'll see the root of that word, ask, is actually demand. And probably the translator's got cold feet and couldn't write whatever you demand in my name, I'll do it. So I put ask. But the root of that word is demand. And he's not demanding from God. We're demanding that the devil back off that circumstances change, that things line up with God's plan in the Bible. So, I said to Ingrid, whatever you demand, in the name of Jesus, Jesus will take care of it. So I ministered to her, explained those two scriptures to her, and we all agreed in hearts, we had faith. I said, I'm going to pray that your heart agrees with me. All right? Because actually the very next verse, Matthew 18, 19, says, if any two agree, it shall be done. So I said, you just let your heart agree, and I'll pray. She said, fine. So I prayed. I said, Satan, 
I have authority over you. And I command you now in the name of Jesus. You will not hurt Ingrid's house. You will not burn it down. In the name of Jesus. And I bound it. And I released the angels to take care of her house. Which was minutes away of being destroyed. Houses in the street were being burnt down already. So, unbeknown to Ingrid, she put the phone, we put the phone down. And I said to Pastor Bev, as I put the phone down, I said, you know, honey, I just said this. I don't even think about it. I said, I prayed with confidence. I prayed with boldness. And I said, because I know that my sister is a tither. And I said to my, my wife, I said, if she wasn't a tither, I don't think I'd have that confidence. I'd pray, but I'd, there'd be a niggling fra fraction of doubt, I guess, in my prayer. But I prayed with absolute confidence. So, we put the phone down. And without Ingrid knowing about this, she knew nothing about what happened until later. So what happened was, a fire truck, each supposed to take care of their own district, because every department, every city or council has their own fire department. He left his city and town and drove all the way to Ingrid's suburb, where Ingrid's house, one of Ingrid's houses were. And he's driving up the street, and most of the house already burnt down. 80, 90% already burnt down. And he came, and this fire is coming, licking right at the house. He sees a swimming pool in the yard with a sign on it, built by so-and-so, and that was his dad's business. So he calls his father and says, Dad, did you build a pool at 3547 Avenida Amorosa Road. His dad said, yes, that's my pool. I bought that pool. So he said, Dad, we're going to save this house. He pulls up his truck, and he just drenches the house with water, drenches the yard with the water and the wall, the, the, the fence around the house. Soaked the whole thing and drove off. Well, almost every house, 99% of the houses in that street were burnt down but Ingrid's house was saved, not harmed at all. She had no idea what happened. Now, here's the thing. We bound demons, released angels. We dealt with this in the spirit realm. And so, the fire was stopped. So you can see demons were behind that, right? The fire was stopped. The house was saved. God moved and brought somebody from another town to save her house. Isn't that amazing? Say this, if I can take authority over the spiritual realm, I can control the natural realm. Now, last night I shared this story, and a couple in the church came up to me and spoke to me after service and said, I want to remind you of what happened to us. Now, this is, I know about this, and this is, I'm just telling you. She said they found mold in their house for the second time. They cured it the first time. They found mold the second time. And they said, now, I haven't got permission to mention names, and she said she's writing the story out so I can 
preach it and mention their names in the future. But until then, I'm not going to. So anyway, the wife said that um, they found mold in the house, riddled with mold the second time. And she just said, I wish this house had burned down. Now the next day, the next day, she's at the office with her husband working in their business. The phone rings. It's the neighbor saying there's a huge forest fire and it's minutes away from hitting your house. The wind's blowing like crazy. Your house is going to be burnt down in a few minutes. So the husband calls me. We pray together. We bind the devil. Command that to change. Stop. In Jesus' name, release the angels. Well, immediately, we put the phone down. The wind changed direction and blew other way and blew the fire out. And the house was saved. They told me the story last night. So this, we can control the spiritual forces and thereby control what happens on the ground. So there's more things are done by demons than we ever imagined. And the last story I want to tell you is um, about Dr. Andre. Now, Dr. Andre is my right-hand man when it comes to Bible schools. He's oversees 84 Bible schools around the world. And um, he, um, he says he has this friend that he went to school with who comes to visit Sometimes when he's in town, he'll stay with him in his house. So him and his wife were at his house, and he had just come back from Zambia on business, and uh, he was given these two mosques. These mosques were cut out of wood, hand-carved, and so he gave these two mosques to Dr. Andre as a gift, because they were given to him as a gift. He just came back, and he gave it to Dr. Andre. When Dr. Andre received the mosque, he just sensed there was demonic involvement here. So he didn't bring it to his house. He put it on the veranda outside, on his veranda, outside of his house. And that night, his wife and two daughters got severe stomachache. And it got worse and worse over the next few days. And they tried everything imaginable, medication, and took them to the doctors, all three of them, and nothing helped. Then they had booked a few days, a week away vacation at the beach, and so they went. When they got down to the beach, the pain was gone. They had a wonderful week's holiday. They came back from vacation. The first day back, they were all sick, suffering from a terrible pain. 12.30 that night, Dr. Andre is woken up out of a deep sleep by his wife screaming in agony. Screaming out loud in agony holding on to his stomach. As he wakes up, he has this knowing in his heart that the cause of this, his daughters and wife suffering, is because demons are attacking him because they came in with the mosques. And he knew that the mosques were given to a woman who died a few days later from ovarian cancer. And now these mosques were given to him. And he knew that and he confirmed that later. So, he went outside, 
got the mask off the veranda, went out the street, broke him to pieces, and put them in a street trash can. Came back to the house to talk to his wife about her screaming pain in her stomach, only to find out she's sleeping peacefully and his daughters are sleeping peacefully. He didn't even have to pray for them. So this, if we can control the demonic spirits in the atmosphere, we can dictate the natural. Now, here's a lesson to be learned. We must be careful what we allow into our homes. Okay? Now, I know there's a big debate about whether tattoos are scriptural or tattoos are not scriptural. I don't want to get into that debate. But some people have tattoos on their arm, Jesus loves you. Okay, fine. But other people have tattoos on their body. When you look at them, you can see they're demonic. The tattoo is demonic. Like, for example, the big eye of Horus with the pyramid underneath it. That is the Egyptian slave god, sun god. And that's the Antichrist's plan to bring the human race into slavery, you'll see that symbol everywhere. People don't understand what it really means. It's on the $1 note. It's on the $1 note. Novus order seclorum. New order. New order of heathenism is the Latin for that word. You can look that up on your $1 bill. New order of heathenism. Underneath that sign. Heathen means ungodly. It's on the dollar. And look it up. It's, that's what it means in Latin. You see? Okay? See how much we can learn in church? You see how much we can learn in church, right? Okay. So don't just believe me. Go and do your own research. Okay? How if you know what I'm saying is correct? Okay. So, Dr. Andre changed the natural circumstances by dealing with the spiritual realm. Who would have thought that his three girls in his house were suffering terrible pain because of a mosque? Because of a mosque. Hmm? You tell that to some folks, they'll think, what plant are you from? They can't understand it. But yet it's the truth, isn't it? Right? All right. So say this. In the name of Jesus, I have authority. Uh, by God's grace, I will use it. When I see things happening around me that are not godly, and I see the direction it's going, I will speak to it and change it by dealing with the spirits using those people in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now we're going to close by praying over your finances. I think this is a very good, I believe this is what God wants is we're going to pray over everybody's finances using the sword of the Spirit, exercise our authority, because it's not God holding back your financial blessing. Say that. It's not God holding back my financial blessing. Because Jesus purchased blessing for me on the cross. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Verse 9, 
So it's not God holding back your financial blessings. It's the devil. It's the devil. And we have authority over that. And we're going to speak to that now and stop the devil from hindering the flow of your finances coming to you. And then you are going to say from now on, finances flow into my hands from everywhere continually. Can you say that? Now here's the thing. If you are a tither and you keep tithing and never stop tithing, then there's no limit to what you can believe God for. You can use your faith for as much as you can believe for, and God will always bless you according to the measure of your faith because He knows He can trust you with money if you're a tither. The money's not your God if you're a tither. Right? I know, I know poor people that, can't, that are stingy and misers, and I know rich people that are stingy and misers. But if you are a giver... God can trust you with as much as you can believe Him for. And I'm going to encourage you to believe God for more. Because the Father loves you and wants to bless you. Are you okay with that? Besides, if you prosper, the church will prosper. All right? All right, let's say this. Stand on your feet, please, everybody. Now, I want you to believe God with me. I'll pray. You just agree. Say this. I agree with Apostle Theo as he prays for my finances. All right, now, just to, to show that you're, as a symbol, to show that you are agreeing, there's no spiritual quality in this, just put your hand on your heart to show that you are agreeing, as a symbol, okay? All right, now I say this. Oh, no, I'm going to say this. You, you, you just listen, all right, ready? Father, I thank you. You just listen. But I appreciate your willingness to. Okay. Father, I thank you for your grace. You told, you told us in Hebrews 4.16 to come boldly to find grace and mercy before you. You told us to come boldly to your presence, to your throne of grace, to find grace and mercy. We know that we have to come for it. It's not just given out without coming for it. And so we come for it. And we thank you, Father, for this grace and mercy, this goodness and favor that you have shown to us, your children, by giving us the right to actually use the name of our Savior to command your blessings and to stop the devil and to command circumstances to change and line up with your purpose and plan. So therefore, we talk to the demon spirits that would like to stop the flow of finances coming to your precious children. And I command you, Satan and demons, to release their finances. I command you now to take your hands off their finances. You desist in your maneuvers and your activities against them. In the name of Jesus, I bind you. I release the angels of the Lord to go and minister for them and bring blessing, bring business, bring clients, bring increases in salary, bring promotions, and bring jobs that offer better options and increase. In the name of Jesus, we thank you for this, Father. 
And we believe it's done now in Jesus' name. All right, now say this. I believe. I am prospering. I'm blessed of God. And I declare that uh, finances come into my hands from all directions, freely, abundantly. And I support the gospel. Praise God. All right. Now let's pray over your health, okay? Over health and healing. Because Jesus bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains on the cross. So let's put your hand on your heart. Let's receive. Father, we thank you that Jesus bore our sicknesses and carried our pains on the cross. And by his stripes, your Bible, the word of God says we were healed. And if we were healed, then it's ours today to receive. Because you paid for it. So I take authority over all sickness, all pain, all discomfort, all malfunction, whether it's a healing they need or a creative miracle they need, if it's the working of miracles they need in their body, whatever it is. Jesus said, whatever you command in my name, I will do it. And so in the name of Jesus, we command the healing that Jesus paid for to flow into their bodies right now. We command every virus and disease to die in their bodies and all those watching live as well. I command every virus, every disease infection to die in Jesus' name. And I release the flow of God's healing power to flow through their bodies right now in Jesus' name. And I thank you, Father, for a recreative miracle to take place in their bodies. Whatever's missing, let it be restored in Jesus' name and healed. We give you all the praise for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right, now what we have to do is write down the time, which is 12.54, and the date, which is the 20th of June. Write that down and then say, on this date, at this time, I received. And tell, say what you received. Faith calls those things. Even if you don't see a manifestation right now, I believe you do. But if, even if you don't, you just say, I got it. I received it when we prayed. Therefore, it's mine now. And you carry on confessing, I have it. You got it? That's faith. And then you will see it. You will see it. So we're setting the thermostat for healed and prospering. Right here, right now, at this time. You got it? All right, we love you.